1: Hey, I'm Chris Cuomo. We're doing a special edition of Primetime Live tonight because we have a mountain of news to cover on this Ash Wednesday. The stage behind me, four major candidates just before the all-important South Carolina primary took to the town hall format to make their case to voters in this state. It's such a big hurdle for the Democrats. You had Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy Klobuchar. Each one of them needs to make a mark. Bloomberg, of course, not on the ballot here, but this was his last moment before Super Tuesday to really introduce himself to this state and all of you in general. The other big story, the president came forward today with the vice president to make the point that he is ready, that this country is ready for the coronavirus. How compelling was it? How much do the facts back up their preparedness? Is the VP the right choice to head up this team? And the president says it's about politics on the Democrat side, but we're gonna look at what he said versus what the CDC and the facts tell us. There's a lot to cover, so let's get after it. All right, all four candidates on the stage here in South Carolina took on the president following his wild news conference where he blamed Democrats for, quote, panic over the coronavirus. While he argued the risks of an outbreak are very low, the CDC says that there's a new case in California and that they're not sure how it got here. It's not clear to the CDC how the victim may have been exposed, okay? And look, that's not unusual here, but the point is, Don't play it as simple, and don't play any concern as politics. If there's any politics being played, it's the disconnect between this president and his own CDC. Here's what the president said today, or actually tonight, about what our concern
2: should be. The risk to the American people remains very low. We're ready to adapt, and we're ready to do whatever we have to. As the disease spreads, if it spreads, I don't think it's inevitable.
1: Now, look, let's just remember the facts here. The president should be taken at his word. He does have all these experts around him. The threat level should be low at this point. But pandemics and potential pandemics are about preparedness. Okay, and they were briefed about this a month ago. There were cuts made in spending that would change the ability to be prepared here. And it does look from the outside and from what we can see as a little bit of a game of catch up. But the main priority here is what should the real concern level and how ready are we for that level? Contrast what the president just said with what his own CDC put out about what we should be looking at happening here in the United States.
3: It's not so
4: much a question of if this will happen anymore, but rather more a, que- a question of exactly when this will happen.
1: And look, you want to be ready for things like this. Of course, you don't want to overhype it. You don't want to have people running around with masks. that don't even know if they need or not and worry that everybody who has a cough has something that could kill you. Of course, you want to be ready and you want to be right and you need to be on the same page. So let's do this. Uh, Let's take the it's not if, it's when. Let's take the news about this case in California and them trying to figure it out. And let's bring in two people who know a lot about this to figure out what matters to us and what our questions are going forward. We have our doctor, of course, Sanjay Gupta and Philip Tierno, professor of microbiology and pathology at NYU. Gentlemen, thank you both. Uh, Sanjay, you had an exchange with the president today about where we should be in terms of preparedness, how we should be seeing this. Let's play that for the audience.
5: Flu has a fatality ratio of about 0.1 percent. Correct. Uh, this has a fatality ratio somewhere between two and three percent. Given we that think. In the fa- we, we think, think we, we don't know based exactly, the so far, and the flu is higher than that, the flu is much higher than that. And there's more people who get the flu, but this yeah. is spreading. or It's going to spread, maybe within communities. That's it. Expectation. May expectation. Does that does that worry you? Because that seems no. to be what worries the people. No, because people. we're ready for it.
1: Look, there's nothing wrong uh, with this president. In fact, it's somewhat atypical of him, to be honest, Sanjay, to play something down, uh, Mm. to not exaggerate the significance of something. And you don't want to create a scare. But just first things first, your numbers about the flu were right. I don't know why he's saying the flu is much higher than that. Do you?
5: No, no, I I don't know. Uh, That was a little little confusing. I mean, the the reason that we brought it up, the reason this exchange even happened was because uh, the president was comparing this coronavirus to the flu, and in many ways, uh, the, the comparison has really been about the fact that these are both very transmissible viruses. They can spread pretty easily. Mm. But the but the you know when you're looking at this, you got to look not only at transmissibility, but also lethality or how likely it is to kill. I mean, that's the other part of the equation. And with flu, you know, and we just calculated the numbers again. I wanted to make sure I was right on this, Chris. And it's about point one percent fatality ratio. Point 0.1% of the people who contract the flu die from the flu. This coronavirus, the largest study so far, shows that it's around 2%, 2 to 3%, so 20 times higher. You see the point here. If the transmissibility is the same, but the lethality is 20 times higher, that's where the concern is. Obviously, nobody wants that to happen. Everyone's hoping that doesn't happen, but that's the concern. When we say we want to be prepared, that's what you want to be prepared for.
1: Right. And as you were explaining last night with Tony Fauci, um, obviously another one of our public health officials on the federal level, was that we're hoping that with coronavirus, we're wrong about the denominator number, which is we're only hearing about the worst cases and that there are other people who have it in these other countries uh, and they're not getting that sick so that they're getting into a position to have to report themselves or something like that. But that's a little bit of wait and see, a little bit of hopefulness. So let's deal with preparedness, Sanjay. You've been around a lot of these team efforts on the federal level and assessed them in the past. How does this feel? to you in terms of who's involved, uh, what kind of resources they're bringing to bear, and having the VP at the head of it.
5: Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting because I think, you know, the president sort of ended that exchange with, I'm not worried because we are totally prepared. Uh, and again, I you know I understand the need to 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 uh, not be alarmist in any way, but you know when when you're talking about this, when when this started to, to break out in China, the idea of doing the largest quarantine in human history, putting in the travel restrictions, they, they was all done to basically slow this thing down, Chris. I don't think anyone was under the illusion that you could completely contain this. It's a little virus, you know. It's not going to respect borders. So what what happened with the time? That's really been the question with the time time that was bought mm-hmm. by slowing it down, what happened? Are public health mm-hmm. systems, local public health systems more ready? Uh, are we more likely to have therapeutics? Where are we with the vaccine? Are individuals uh, right. sort of educated about what to do? And I think that the reality is that we don't have many of these things. Some of that's nobody's fault. I mean, it takes time to develop therapeutics and to do, do a vaccine trial. But two months into this now, with that right. time that we bought, I'm not sure we have a plan exactly with what to do. If we start to see community transmission of this, what would you do? What would the average person do? We need to know.
1: All right. And now that's why I asked Professor Tierno to come in. I've been leaning on you for many years since I was back at ABC News. It's great to have you here uh, and it's great to get your expertise again. Uh, Let's start with the very basic level. What do you want people to know, Professor, about what this presents as in terms of what you might see? And, you know, they put out the word that um, I want to get their language right. The HHS secretary uh, said, I'm sorry, the U.S. NIH director the National Institute's of health director, said public health measures must be used in the interim before coronavirus vaccine will be ready. Mm. What does that mean? How does a virus like this spread? And what are the, some of these interim measures that we should use?
4: All right, the sad part is uh, viruses like this spread very easily because people, ordinary people, are involved and have no idea as to how to uh, prevent themselves from getting ill. 80% of all infections are transmitted by direct and indirect contact. Now, direct like coughing, talking, sneezing on a person, kissing a person. Indirect like touching a fomite or an inanimate object. Now, with this virus, we are not sure that you can pick it up on inanimate objects. Uh, We know it can survive on those objects up to nine days so the bottom line is that the public is unaware of how to prevent uh, Themselves from getting ill. They don't wash their hands appropriately uh, even on uh, under ordinary circumstances so to protect yourself Wash your hands prior to touching your face, your eyes, nose, or mouth, which are the conduits of entry into your body. Not, not, uh, don't hug or kiss uh, an individual who is overtly ill. Um, simple things like that can go a long way to, to uh, prevent yourself from getting ill.
1: And quickly, Professor, what about the masks? Everybody's walking around wearing masks now in airports, and we're seeing it more and more in cities. What's the plus minus on masks?
4: The, the masks are different types. The N95 is a better mask to wear, but at the present time, we don't need to wear masks. Um, as far as a surgical mask, that's good to prevent the person from spewing out uh, uh, aerosols uh, to other people. So it protects other people, not yourself, because the surgical masks actually uh, have areas where you can... Uh, breathe appropriately and bring in the particles, the viral particles.
1: So the people wearing the mask should be the sick people, not the people who are trying to keep themselves exactly. from getting sick. As people learn that, it'll just spread more concern every time you see a mask. Exactly. All right, fellas, listen, thank you very much. We've got to stay with the information and follow it with the analysis. Sanjay, as always, it's great to have Dr. Gupta in the house. And Professor Tierno, once again, thank you for helping us how to use common yeah. sense in situations like this. Thank very you welcome. both. So. Now we've heard from the president. He put out his team. The VP is going to head it up. Um, Do we feel better about things? Uh, Do we feel that now we're ready to go? Let's talk to a lawmaker from California. His district is where this is hitting home. Are they getting the federal response that they need? What is that level of confidence? Next. All right. The latest information we have on the coronavirus in the United States does give us something that we need to look at more closely. All right. We may have okay, may have the first case of an American who may have caught this virus without traveling or being exposed to another patient in California. Congressman John Garamendi uh, is a friend of the show. He's the former lieutenant governor there. Obviously, he's a congressman now, but this is in his district. Uh, So first of all, Congressman, do I have this right? I'm getting this from the CDC, obviously, that there's a case in your district where it's not explained by because they just came from China or they were with somebody who had traveled. Do we have that part right?
2: That is correct. They call it uh, a community infection or community transmission. Uh, That is what they believe this to be. They have no indication that this fellow was involved with a sick person or traveled from a country from which there was uh, extensive uh, coronavirus. So, uh, yes, we have uh, perhaps the first community transmission uh, in the United States. Uh, And, uh, yes, it is in my district, and the uh, individual is uh, in a hospital as we understand it in Sacramento.
1: Now, so what is your concern here?
2: Well, I think it's a concern that all Americans have. Uh, It's certainly a concern that the president spoke to today, and I'm grateful that he did. Uh, His proposal, two and a half billion dollars, one billion for the development of a vaccine, terrific, but that'll be uh, probably six months to a year off before that's available. Uh, Equipment, masks, other kinds of equipment, that's good too. But what we really need is to uh, beef up, make sure that the public health system, which every state has, but which in many places is uh, dormant or inactive, that that be fully funded, brought up online very, very quickly so that when you do have a case such as this, they're able to track down where that uh, contamination may have occurred and then put together the normal uh, isolation programs.
1: So, Congressman, help us understand this, um, because a lot of this is foreign language. We're not used to dealing Mm -hmm. with this. We know that people come over on a cruise ship. They were quarantined. at I think at AFB, um, uh, Travis, uh, out there for 14 days. When you say we need to ramp up the public health systems and make sure that we can identify what's supposed to happen that you don't think can happen already.
2: Well, fortunately, the United States does have uh, public health systems. Every state has one. Uh, In many cases, they've not been exercised, thankfully, uh, by some sort of an epidemic. uh, And they're not ready, prepared. They may not have the right people on, on their staff. Uh, And it's going to take money. We're talking probably 24-7 here. Not probably. We're certainly going to be talking 24-7 in the uh, Sacramento-Solano County region as they try to track down uh, all of the potential uh, places where this individual may have uh, come into contact with the virus. That's going to take a lot of people. And the federal government should be funding that. Also, we do know that for California... Uh, and a couple of other states, a very special burden was placed on the local hospitals and the local communities because California and others were the recipients of the evacuees. Uh, We certainly have great sympathy for that, but that's an expense. So as we look at this issue from the point of view of Congress, uh, this recommendation that the president has made, uh, we need to be aware of all of the costs that are going to be incurred and make sure that the resources are there. Not every state, not every community, and certainly not every county in California is capable of funding an all-out public health response to an infection that might arise in, say, the rural counties of California. They simply won't have the resources. So those resources are going to have to be available. That's something we should be doing in Congress now.
1: And you need to have a system of coordination so you don't have resultant litigation uh, settling this while there's sick people uh, in the balance. So, Congressman, let's do this. As you learn more about the case, uh, we've known each other a long time. Uh, I'll be reaching out to you through my office on a daily basis to get more information. And you've always had this and you always will have this as a platform to get out information that the people in your state and the country need to know about the progress or the problems you're having in your state and your district.
2: Okay. let me just add one thing. Each individual in America is the first line of defense. You know, practice good hygiene. Don't cough. Don't be around somebody that is coughing. Stay home if you get sick. Don't spread the illness.
1: Understood. Good advice. As always, Congressman Garamendi. Thank you.
6: Thank you.
2: All
1: right. So look, we got the practical part of this and I wish that's all we needed to be concerned about. But it isn't. This is an election season and there's politics being played here. The question is by whom and to what effect? Now we have um, a defender of the president coming on about what's being done so far, but also what he's communicating to the country. The only contagion we're dealing with is not coronavirus. It's a toxic kind of politics that's dividing this country when it doesn't need it. Let's take this on. Next.
2: Are financial markets overreacting here? I think the financial markets are very upset when they look at the... Democrat candidates standing on that stage making fools out of themselves.
1: Now, look, this is a press conference where he's announcing his team. He's putting the VP in charge. All right. Yes, it's true. During Ebola with President Obama, uh, then citizen Donald Trump mocked then President Obama for putting someone in charge of Ebola with no um, medical background. And not only does Pence not have a medical background, uh, but you could make a pretty salient argument. He doesn't believe in science when it comes to lots of key areas. Put it to the side. There are a lot of health professionals there. They were on the stage today. Let's take some confidence in that. However... What he just put out there is demonstrably false at a time we need it least. How do we know? The stock market crashed Hours before the candidates were on stage. The reason the markets crashed has been explained again and again by analysts and traders as what? Uncertainty. Uncertainty fueled by what? Fear. Fear driven by what? Not understanding the extent of where this virus will go and how it will impact health and economic situations. It's common sense. Why play play? politics. Let's bring in Republican Congressman from North Carolina, Mark Walker. It's good to see you again, sir. Uh, We both will share uh, the we will both share the good news that the federal government has a plan, has a team, uh, has money being allocated. We can argue about whether it's not enough. Uh, You know, there can always be more money. That argument's good to have, too. Uh, That's all fine. My problem is why inject politics into this? Why talk about Democrats on the stage when it had no connection to what happened? Why do that now?
7: Yeah, I believe the president was responding specifically to a question was asked. And if you want to talk about interjecting politics, and I agree with you, uh, one of the statements you made, pandemic is about preparation. The other component of this, this is no time for politics. But if you want to look at who started this whole process It was Speaker Pelosi talking, going after the president on the timeline, and if you look at the situation, uh, really Speaker Pelosi, coming at it from a moral high ground, when in San Francisco, they've had to declare a public health emergency due to 300 opioid deaths due to overdosing. This is not a time for politics. I do agree with you. This is a time to focus. Listen, I'm a ranking member on Homeland Security, Intelligence and Counterterrorism. This is an economic crisis. It's a security crisis. But most importantly right now, where our focus needs to be, it's a humanitarian and health care crisis.
1: Yeah, I hear you on that. But, I mean, let's just, you know, let's just keep apples to apples here. The reason California is declaring emergencies right now is because they want to release funds to deal with the people who are going to be coming in uh, off their coast and the cases that they have. And now this new case they have that they can't track down. This isn't about opioids. We have plenty of problems in this country. I'm just saying, look, even what you did there, he's okay to play politics because Pelosi started it. At what point does our president become the main point of accountability? And even if you were right, and I would argue on the facts that you're wrong about Pelosi precipitating this. We've got one president. We have one person at the head of our government that's supposed to be a leader in a situation of crisis. How can it be okay, even if provoked, if he takes the bait and makes a situation about coronavirus, about playing political payback?
7: Chris, he has not made this about politics. If you look at his timeline, it was go back to January the 6th. There was no political posturing here. This is when he tried to get um, Americans in there to help. He put a track restrictions. He made sure that flights weren't coming in. This is nearly two months ago. Uh, We don't think that on the Republican side, this is about politics and it shouldn't be. This is something that our time period in America has in the past, anytime there's been a serious situation when it comes to our national emergency or healthcare crisis, we have risen above that. And I hope that we can continue to do so in this process.
1: I know, but I think that this president's making it difficult, and that's why I wanted to talk to you. Our understanding of the timeline is you had HHS uh, come in with some other agencies in brief a month or so ago, and there was some slowness to action. I think that happens sometimes, by the way. You don't really know that something that's going on in China is going to all of a sudden affect you here. I think there has to be an allowance for a learning curve. Uh, But when you look at what's been done politically here... This president has been at odds with his own CDC, and I'm all for not spreading panic. Um, But we don't need a president to say it's not inevitable. We don't need a president to argue with Sanjay Gupta about the lethality rate of the flu when he's dead wrong. This president doesn't know what he's talking about with those things. Obviously, Gupta was right. He was wrong. Why is he minimizing it? The temptation is to see it as for political benefit. And I think that's a concern, congressman.
7: Well, certainly, all of this is a concern. I grew up on the Gulf Coast of Florida as a youngster. To me, this reminds me of a hurricane being out in the Gulf. You didn't know when or how or or maybe even the force of when it might hit, but you started preparing. And I think that's where we are in in, in this crisis. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. But the time to prepare is not then, it is now. And I, I don't disagree with you on, on that point. And I don't believe the president does either. This is something that we are taking serious. I've had five different briefings uh, with my position. Two of those were classified. Uh, we've got another one with the, with the full slate of the administration this uh, Friday morning in two days, uh, early early that morning, for all the members of Congress. So this is something that we are staying focused on, and we should.
1: I'm just saying I think it's a good time for people from his party because you are the only ones he has a chance of listening to to say, let's not make this about politics. Just stick to the virus. Don't worry about what Pelosi says. Don't worry about what Democrats do. You don't have to put out a story. You're not on defense here. Just put the country first. And that's why I'm happy to have you on, Congressman. I know you know your priorities as a public service member. And as you get information that the people need about this, you know you're welcome on this show to spread it.
7: Thank you, Chris. I appreciate that. And we'll uh, we'll be following up with you soon.
1: All right. God bless. All the best to you and your family. All right. So, look, we've got to follow coronavirus. I promise you my only pledge is that I'm not going to get ahead of the information. All right. Uh, I'll bring you the experts. I'll talk to politics. I'll shout it down when I can, because we've got to test it. We've got to get after any abuse of politics in a situation where health can be on the line. That said, there's a lot of politics to talk about here in South Carolina. This was an interesting set of town halls tonight. We have some interesting poll numbers that are out, too, which caused the urgency, especially for Joe Biden. I was on the stage with him tonight, and it was interesting watching him with this audience and the resonance of it afterwards. He's got a big challenge in front of him. How did he hold up to the scrutiny? Next. Next. So big night. You saw former mayor Michael Bloomberg from New York, uh, first time in a town hall environment. He made some news tonight. He said even if he doesn't become the nominee, this uncertainty about what he would do vis-a-vis Bernie Sanders, he cleared it up. Listen. It's easy for me to make the commitment that I will support any of the Democratic candidates if they get the nomination because... But but it's easy to do it because the alternative is Donald Trump and that we don't want. Let me also say I made a commitment that we have these campaign offices all over the country and we will keep the main ones open through November 3rd so whoever is the nominee
2: can use those.
1: All right. So even if it's Bernie Sanders, Bloomberg will put his money into that race. Then we heard from one of Sanders um, people, we don't want it. What does that say about the state of play? We got Bakari Sellers and Joan Walsh here. Uh, It was good to hear Bloomberg say, you know, because this is a party desperate for unity. Yes. um, Going on. So, Joan, what did it mean to you that he said that? And then the response from the Sanders campaign?
3: I really I I was surprised. I had not heard that. I think I think you you did make news tonight with that. Um, And I think it's great. And I don't I think uh, Bernie would be crazy not not to (laughs) just say thank you very much. Uh, crazy and, Bernie, that could stick. Well, I'm not. I didn't call Never him. Heard <laughs> Never heard it before. <laughs> I did not. You're going to hear it. That. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, it would be crazy, right. but I don't think he'll do it. I think he will be under so much pressure from the party. Uh, again, as a, a unity gesture, if nothing else, and he'll need it. I know he has this phenomenal army of small donors, and and they are to be praised. But this would be an incredible additional.
1: Or is it about authenticity, Bakari? Well, and no, Bernie, people uh, will say we don't want that kind of money.
6: Well, I, I think one of the things that Bernie Sanders and his crew uh, and, and many of the supporters fail to realize is that politics is a business of addition, not yes. subtraction. And so, if someone like Michael Bloomberg and trust me, as Bakari Seller sits here, a Kamala Harris supporter, right? Everybody asks me who do you who are you endorsing. I'm still endorsing Kamala Harris. Like I still support <laughs> Kamala Harris till this day. Um, and to see a, a billionaire come on stage and still have this level of success, it irks me, no, no doubt about it. However, Michael Bloomberg, if he wants to uh, participate in the process, you have to let him. Unilateral disarmament is not what we need in the Democratic mm-hmm. Party. Donald Trump's not going to run out of money. We, uh, I think it's silly to say that if Bernie Sanders, the leader of the party, I mean, to help down ballot races, you're going to turn away 100 or $200 million? Now, the question becomes, does
1: the money beat the label? Uh, That was something that Joe Biden uh, dealt with tonight in the town hall. The label of being a socialist, what it means, what it could mean. Here's what he had to say.
2: What's happened is we have moved in a direction that, in fact, the progressive now progressive means Bernie. It means democratic socialism or whatever the phrase is. I think Bernie is a decent, honorable man who means what he says. And I think but I think it's going to be its not enough just to win, beat the president. The next president has to be able to win back the Democratic Senate. Do you think it helps you or hurts you to have a self-proclaimed socialist at the top of the ticket? I'm not being a wise guy. That's not going at his character. It's going at his position.
1: Now, I I need your help on this one. Uh, He made another argument. I was the funny guy standing behind him um, that when it came to 2018, they didn't ask Bernie to go campaign in all those different districts. They asked Joe Biden that argument. I get if. Bernie is good enough to win for president, Joan. Why would he not be good enough to help down ballot?
3: I think he will help. He will help some people down ballot. I think he might hurt some people down ballot here in so South you can Carolina. So win
1: for president, but still be a negative in I, some places. Yeah,
3: because you're you're winning. You're winning in different places. Right. I mean, he did campaign for some folks, and he did. He he has allies in the new co- Congress. Bernie does. So it's not true that he wasn't asked or didn't didn't go out and do anything. Anything. But there are going to be some purple district Democrats who may have a hard time with this?
1: Even if he starts
6: looking strong
1: against well,
3: not, the president? I, mean,
6: I, I think that he has allies in the United States Congress, but those allies aren't in swing districts. Right. I mean, we're sitting in Joe Cunningham's district right now. Right. Joe Cunningham pulled off one of the largest upsets, thanks to one of my good friends, Tyler Jones and Amanda Loveday and all those people who helped out Joe Cunningham. He pulled off one of the largest upsets that we had during that electoral cycle. Right. And, and that's a fact. And if Bernie Sanders is at the top of the ticket, Nancy Mace who is the Republican who's going to run for that seat, will beat Joe Cunningham if, if Bernie Sanders is at the top of the ticket. That's a fact. I mean, democratic socialism does not play well outside of the Twitter sphere. It doesn't play well uh, in, in these purple districts. And, and people are starting to understand that. No, he will not do well down ballot. He may win. If he wins, give me a Bernie Sanders T-shirt. But I am deathly afraid of what will happen. Uh, for the United States Congress, United States House, United States Senate. I'm I'm afraid of how that would affect us down ballot. Well, they're think already
3: calling Joe Cunningham a socialist. They're 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 already tossing I mean, It's that not around. it's not
6: about them calling us because they call Barack Obama a socialist. Right. I mean, nobody's worried about what they will call us. The fact is that Bernie Sanders calls himself that. That's right. Well and so and then the party the party's enveloped in that label. Bernie Sanders, to, to Joe Biden's point, has brought in so much energy to the party. Absolutely. He shifted the the paradigm. We we now look through a different window. It's we we are way more progressive, but to say that Bakari Sellers or Barack Obama or Joe Biden is not progressive, because they actually brought in the Affordable Care Act, or they saved the automobile industry, or they had a stimulus, which we built new schools in South Carolina because of, or or Lily Ledbetter. I mean, they're actually people people and and people are trying to primary Nancy Pelosi. Yes. Right. It's
1: absurd. Well, it's a it's absurd on one level in terms of party politics, but it's totally understandable. I don't get this. Bernie is like Trump. Dot 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 analysis that's starting to spread. No, Bernie's from, better than Trump. But I'm, I'm saying this, this, this idea yes. that oh they're inflexible. To this I I don't see it. But that's something you guys have to reconcile within the party. But what I do see is. People are disaffected with the system. They're angry at it. They expect people to be liars and be corrupt and not to be able to trust them. And that's why they forgive Trump so much, because that's the way they think everybody is in there in that business. Yeah. Those people believe
6: in Bernie also. Now, Do you sleep on the movement at your own risk? Bernie Sanders has something that most politicians wish they had, which is a level of consistency that is only matched by Michael Jordan. And right. a movement. Like, like, he's got a movement. Right. And he has a movement. And, 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 it's and, a and movement. He, He built that movement. He's a movement builder. I I don't... You cannot take away... Bernie Sanders or take away that from Bernie Sanders. No way. He built that movement yep. and he's consistent. The, the politician Bernie Sanders is today is the same politician he was 20 yes. days ago. I don't, I, I don't knock Bernie Sanders' character at all. The Bernie bros, I love them. I'm glad they're part of the of the process sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but They're killing me right now. Killing, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but, okay. but, but, but in general. But they don't, glad, but they don't exist. But I'm but glad anyway. they're they part exist. of the process. My only, oh, my, my only point is that Bernie Sanders has a lot of energy that's brought yeah. to the party. It's it's just not something that South Carolina Democrats are going to buy into, and right? It's not something that purple Democrats are going to buy into, and it's something that we're going to have to overcome if he's the nominee. I appreciate you
1: both. Uh, we're going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to bring in Mitch Landrew, and I'm going to I'm going to push. I love a theory. Me. He should have run for president. I'm going to push a theory. Oh, no <laughs> <laughs> else, anything could happen. I'm going to push a theory with him that South Carolina could have been a huge change in the narrative of this party, but it's not going to be, and we're going to debate why. Wow. Stay with us. Nobody believes that. All right. Let's bring in former Mayor Mitch Landrew. South Carolina, um, I think, is going to be a different story than it might have not. It might have been if it were not for Tom Steyer, not to villainize him. He's got every right to do his campaigning, but he has taken a bite out of Biden's behind uh, in this state. We don't know how much uh, Bakari Sellers was just telling me, and, you know, he knows South Carolina very well. He's a friend of yours, friend of mine, um, that he believes Steyer is on a fade here. Um, but. You could have had you know how the media loves a turn in the narrative, Mitch. You could have had a thing here where Biden won with such a big thing that they start talking about him in a way that might be equally unjustified as the way they're talking about him now. You think it still happens with Steyer?
8: Uh, I I do think it's going to happen. I think the vice president looked like he got hit with a cattle prod the other night during that debate, almost jumped off that stage with the level of energy that he had. And then, of course, tonight, you know, this format of the town hall really favors him. I thought that Mayor Bloomberg did a great job tonight, as did Amy and Senator Warren. But you can see how the vice president shines when he's got a little room to run and he actually can connect in a very human way with people who have been through tremendous pain. And I think that pops off the screen at people. So my guess is based on what everybody's been saying that he's, he's going to have a pretty good night in South Carolina. Remember a couple of weeks ago, people were writing him off and thought he was going to be dead. It looks like he's got a little bit of life and then we'll see what Super Tuesday brings, which of course, as you know. It's just a whole new ballgame. But there's no doubt that's Tom Steyer. And look, I like Tom and Tom has done an unbelievable job with the amount of money he's invested in climate change and the impeachment piece. But I don't know exactly what he's doing or what he thinks his, prog- you know, his prognosis for his success is going forward. And I think he's definitely hurting the vice president more than anybody else.
1: I mean, look, every time we look at a poll number, Steyer's numbers is almost arithmetically exactly the difference between where Biden was and where he is now. Uh, So I don't know how it can be coming from anywhere else significantly. But again, you know, that's that's fair play. And Steyer has to answer. Well, that's Um, now the question is, does Biden become a one and done, which is let's say he can't win by one point. If he wins by one point, I don't think it's going to be enough um, for the media, let alone the donors. But let's say he wins by seven, 10, 12. Bakari thinks it could be even higher than that. Is he still just one and done because Super Tuesday he hasn't put the money to work? Or could it be enough momentum?
8: Well, well, let me say this. I think this is true about all the candidates. I think Mayor Pete, I think Amy, I think, you know, the, the thing is you can keep going until you can't go anymore. Senator Warren, for example, is having a really great fundraising week, so she can keep going as long as her money lasts. If the vice president is not able to raise money because people don't have confidence in him, he's going to have trouble. But if he comes into this thing strong and he looks really good and he looks like he's more on his game this week than he was last week, he may be able to raise the money to compete. By the way, what Steyer's doing to him here, Mike Bloomberg is doing to him in every other state. There's a poll that came out in Texas that has Bernie and the vice president Uh, neck and neck. And then and then Bloomberg's, you know, eating out of the vice president's numbers. And they ran the poll with the vice president, uh, with Bloomberg and without him. And it's clear that Bloomberg's doing the same thing to him in other states that Steyer is doing to him in South Carolina. So he's got he's got folks nippet at his heels and kind of, you know, standing right in front of his face.
1: What do you think of the idea that at the end of the day, Bloomberg's going to help Bernie Sanders because he's going to kill off Biden I know other moderates going to get traction because he's eating up the ad space and Bernie Sanders is going to go rolling in there with 40, 41 percent of the delegates. Thanks to Bloomberg. Well,
8: well, I think there's a very good chance that that is going to happen. I don't think they anticipated that. But I think Mayor Bloomberg's first debate performance scared a lot of people about the possibility. I think he, he acquitted himself very well the other night. And I thought his town hall was exceptional tonight. You can see a person that has great depth, great experience. He was able to explain you know, the, the positions that he had, he got some tough questions, but he did fine. But it it is quite possible because of all the moderates splitting up the votes that Bernie Sanders could roll with this thing. But I share the same concern that Bakari does and a lot of other Democrats in purple states with Bernie Sanders being our nominee. I think it's going to be very difficult for many of those uh, states to vote for somebody that's a self-declared democratic socialist. And what really concerns me is that as much as I like Bernie Sanders, and of course I'm enthralled with the movement that he's built, he won't seem to yield at all or move to where some other folks are. And that that sense of uh, of, of being an ideologue and being hard headed and not being malleable really at the end of the day goes to whether or not you can govern across the aisle and actually just pontificate about what needs to be done or speak to the aspirational hopes of the American people or actually put some meat on the bones and move policy from point to point. And I think he's going to get tested on that theory in the next couple of months.
1: You think this virus is going to wind up playing into the race?
8: No question about it. This is, first of all, in every campaign that you have ever covered and that I've ever been in, there's been something unanticipated that's come into it that's changed the trajectory of the race, A. Secondly, everybody that's ever served, no matter what their plans are and their theory of governing, they always get interrupted by a massive crisis, whether it's a national uh, disaster like a hurricane, a terrorist attack, or in this sense, what could potentially be a very serious public health threat. And if you don't prepare for it, the worst and hope for the best and actually have a strategy in place and resources to deal with it, then you could get into real, real trouble. You know, we want to be hopeful that this virus does not spread, but they call it viral for a reason because it spins out of control more quickly than you can contain yeah. it. And there are a lot of people that feel like the way this has come out of the gate with, with Tony Fauci, who is by the way, a really smart guy saying one thing and the CDC yeah. and then the president saying something and then Cudlow. Making comments about this, that should not happen. The scientist and the commander in chief should speak with one voice. Well, you know who puts clarity. him out
1: there. You know, who puts him out there. the president puts Kudlow I, I, out there to make I, I, excuses. I, I, he blames the Democrats. He's putting but, politics on this and he didn't know to do any of that. But listen, we got to leave I, it there, Mitch, because I, I, we're out of time. I appreciate you very much.
8: Sure. Take care.
1: All right. Thank you very much. It's a lot of news going on. You had the virus, you had these town halls, the big election news. That's all reason to be watching. Not just us, but Don Lemon on a special edition of his show is coming up right
0: after this.